Hello and welcome back to the Hungry Takes podcast with Joe and Matt. It is a Thursday night, last Thursday in August. This is the fifth installment of the rebrand of the Joe and Matt show with the Hungry Takes podcast. Now, Matt, becoming just a weekly um, venture of enjoyment for the two of us as we are live from our studio in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. What's going on? Not a whole lot, Joe. What's up, man? Oh, just... Excited to do this again. Excited for the show that you have planned for us tonight. Talking some football, talking some baseball, and talking some food as always, and just ready to go. Yeah, man. And look, Joe, here's the thing, man. I feel like every week we do this, it gets a little bit easier, right? We get into our groove, um, and, and I feel like we, we have this thing coordinated better every week. So I can just tell you right now, it's getting better and better for our listeners. Definitely. Definitely. And speaking of getting better, uh, what's on tap for the uh, first uh, topic for tonight. Ah, you must be hungry, Joe. You're ready to get into this show. So yeah, true to form, hungry takes. Let's dive into it, right? So in the A block, let's talk a little baseball. So give us an update from the past week of what's going on in baseball and even Little League World Series, if you can do that. Certainly, Matt. So one of the biggest stories is kind of a dubious record. The Baltimore Orioles were on the verge of losing 20 consecutive games until two days ago. They had lost 19 games in a row. And I think that Baltimore as a franchise had the previous record of 21 straight losses, and so they were about to top themselves. But fortunately, they actually defeated Shohei Otani and the Angels yesterday, and then they won again today. So now the Orioles suddenly have a two-game winning streak. Aside from that, just kind of an overall story in baseball, I'll look at the National League West right now. Um, on the positive side, the San Francisco Giants continue to kind of be the amazing story of the year. Just out of nowhere, they've won 82 games, have the best record in baseball. And then close behind them, another team with 80 wins is the um, Los Angeles Dodgers, the defending champions. And they're really doing uh, well, too. So just a lot to be excited about on the West Coast. And then finally, you ask for an update on the Little League World Series. So the Little League World Series will, of course, culminate this weekend um, with a champion crowned. And the big story has been a lot of no-hitters thrown in the Little League World Series. There's a team from South Dakota who has a really good pitcher who is left-handed, and he has thrown two no-hitters at the Little League World Series. Is that is that uh, – I saw him on SportsCenter briefly. Is it Guy, Gamer, Geimer, Wesley, Gamer, something like that, I want to say. Gavin Ware, maybe? Ware, there we go. Sorry, I knew it was something like that. Ware, that's it. So he has pitched two games, but here's the downside for South Dakota. I think that it's going to be tough for them to win the Little League World Series because they have a pitch count rule, and since he threw 85 pitches yesterday, he won't be able to come back in time for Sunday's championship game. So I would say look for probably either teams from Hawaii or California to take home the crown. Yeah, and I always feel like Hawaii is always in there, kind of like uh, J uh, Japan, right, when they play the world teams. I always feel like Japan is in there as well. So awesome, Joe. So love it, man. So that's the update in the A block on what's going on in Major League Baseball and Little League World Series. So let's keep it moving, right? We're going to get to what I call the messy middle. And you know why I call it the messy middle, Joe? Why is that, Matt? I we're, definitely got to know. Man, we're just going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff, right? True to the Hungry Takes form, we're going to dive into a little bit of everything, right? And the first thing we're going to jump into, let's talk about Serena Williams. Now, she bows out of the U.S. Open, okay? So my question to you, and, and if you're keeping track, she turns 40 in the next month. So my question to you is, 
is her chances for a Grand Slam title coming to an end? And have we really seen the best of Serena Williams at this point? Yeah, I think the answer is unfortunately yes to both of your um, questions because I think she's 39 or 40 years old now. I mean, still, you have to appreciate her greatness. That's what I try to look at it through a glass half full mentality, you know, that, yes, she's kind of on the uh, sunset moment of her career, but you definitely have to appreciate what she's accomplished as, you know, not just a female athlete, but one of the greatest athletes of all time, you know, not just in tennis. But unfortunately, it looks like there are going to be some other challengers that are going to uh, take that threshold. Yeah, and here's the thing with Serena Williams. So if you really go back to her career, she hasn't won a Grand Slam since 2016. Of course, that was pre-childbirth and, and everything that comes with that. And, and there's nothing specifically about childbirth to point at. But as you get older, your body changes, you become less mobile. And I think she's really starting to feel the effects of just aging, right? So 2016, her last real Grand Slam major win, I think at Wimbledon, but Joe, the other thing I would point out, if you go back to 2018, go back to 2019, when she was really present in Grand Slams, it was U.S. Open and Wimbledon, she got thrashed. I'm talking like 2-6, 2-6, 3-6, 3-6. So they weren't even good showings, right? So I'll sit back and say, I think we've seen the best of Serena Williams right now. I, I don't think there's any turning back the clock, but I do think she's like Tiger Woods in one respect. She loves playing Wimbledon always plays well at Wimbledon. The bulk of her Grand Slams are at Wimbledon. She's like Tiger Woods. You can give Tiger Woods a two-by-four and a rock, and he would still play, you know, top three golf at the Masters. So I do think there's hope for Serena Williams at Wimbledon in the future. But as far as being a major contender, I think the best is far behind her. Yeah, and, and I hope that you're right as far as her getting another shot, you know, to win a major tournament like Wimbledon. I think that'd be a fantastic story. And it's been kind of disappointing, you know, not just for her, but you look at some of the other great tennis players right now, the all-time greats, Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal are both injured and will miss uh, the U.S. Open as well. Yeah, and I, I think same story there, just aging. And it's much like golf. It's much like all these sports. Young talent is starting to show up in a big way. And so, you know, Joe, that kicks off the messy middle, so let's keep it going. Let's talk a little bit of college-slash-high school basketball. Number three recruit in the nation, Imani Bates, commits to Memphis, right? Kind of a mid-major school. What do we think about that? So I would say it just kind of speaks volumes for the recruiting prowess of Hardaway you know, now three or four years into his tenure at Memphis. And the funny thing is that as an Ole Miss fan, as a lot of our listeners know on the show, I really wanted Ole Miss to go out and consider Penny Hardaway a few years ago as their basketball coach. And a lot of people were criticizing that potential and saying, well, if Ole Miss gets a coach like that, then he'll just be gone in two or three years. But I think it's the same story as Lane Kiffin. Why not, you know, if you have that opportunity to date the supermodel, date her, and then, you know, your prospects definitely increase all the way around. And so I think that if um, Ole Miss could have hired Penny Hardaway, boosted their recruiting um, abilities, it definitely could have allowed the program to take off. And Memphis has definitely done that. They've ran with it. And you know, it started out with James Whiteside a couple of years ago. Uh, Wiseman, and, James Wiseman. James yep. Wiseman, yep. yes. And it's just kind of continued with, um, with this latest recruit. Yeah, and, you know, in between there, not only did he get Wiseman, which was by far the number one player in the country, right? I think last year he brings in like two or three guys in the top five. So Hardaway really is the truth. Now, if you don't know a lot about Imani Bates, you can go check him out in high school basketball. They're billing him as a blend between Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, right? A little bit bigger, Steph Curry, 6'9", but can play ball and get buckets like Kevin Durant. 
the interesting thing about him is he was headed to Michigan State, which is a superpower in college basketball. He recommits or decommits into the class of 2021 and now is going with Memphis. And to Joe's point, it's all about Anthony Hardaway. The guy's got the intellect. He's extremely humble. He has a rapport with these high school players. And he was also like the biggest superstar in the NBA besides Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal, and a few others during his time. And so there's a lot to like about Hardaway. I think Penny Hardaway, to, to Joe's credit here, is going to move past Memphis at a certain point. Now, keep in mind, that's his alma mater. It's where he was born and raised. But I think they're going to start looking at him for NBA jobs and then super huge D, uh, D1 jobs like Kentucky and all these other schools. Maybe Duke, right, with Shashevsky moving out of the way. So who knows? I think sky's the limit there. Oh, definitely. Isn't this the second five-star recruit they've gotten in this offseason? So that yep. just shows you the level that they're recruiting at. And had the situation with Wiseman not happened with the NCAA a couple of years ago, like if that had happened now, title. today's landscape, it probably wouldn't have been as big of an issue. I mean, they, they easily could have contended for the yep. national title. And and I think in the, in the world that we live in, in college sports, Anthony Hardaway is that total package, right? Like I said, smart guy professional pedigree, always good with his money, never in the news for bad things. I mean, there are no transgressions that are out there about this guy, right? And and then on top of that, you factor in that he was a former NBA player. I think the offers are going to come calling in a big way, short in a short amount of time. Yes, especially, like you said, with Duke. And I know that UNC hired uh, Hubert Davis, but you know if he doesn't win – Penny Hardaway would certainly be a candidate. Yep, absolutely. All right, Joe, so we'll keep it moving here. Uh, We're going to stay in the same vein, though. Let's talk some college, right? More college. Let's talk ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 forming an alliance. So let's do some future telling here, right? Let's predict the future. What does this mean, and where are they going with this alliance stuff, Joe? It's really hard, Matt, to um, decide what the specific implications are. And what I mean by that is, I've read today that the ACC does not foresee a situation where they're looking to expand their conference. And so is it anything more than just kind of a, uh, calling it an alliance? Like, is it actually anything other than that? Like, it's kind of name only. It's not actually, you know, going out and doing what the SEC did and adding, you know, teams from another conference to bolster your conference. I think really what it means in the short term is that these conferences are going to kind of band together and try to prevent some of their teams from leaving and joining the SEC because we've heard, you know, Clemson, North Carolina, Virginia even uh, mentioned as uh, potential uh, candidates or suitors for the SEC to make it a 20-team conference at some point. Like, that wouldn't surprise me. But aside from that, it also um, has the possibility to set up maybe some regular games between, like, the likes of, like, a Notre Dame and USC or a Michigan and a USC. Yeah, I, I think so. So I think to start, it's what they call a quote-unquote gentleman's agreement. So it's m- nothing more than a handshake, right, to come together and prioritize playing each other. But what I would say is that's only going to matter when it doesn't come down to football. Like the moment that Clemson needs to play out of this alliance so they can get into the national title game or Florida State or these cats, they're going to do that, right? And, and that's my concern is in this alliance – the, the only ones that really matter are, off the top of my head, Clemson, Florida State, Miami, uh, Oregon, and then Washington and USC, right? I mean, 
there the others matter sometimes in basketball, but let's let's always focus on the fact that football drives sports, right? So whatever's good for football is what's going to be good for these alliances. But I, I think you're right, Joe. I think this was a reactionary standpoint where they are trying to prevent other defectors. Like, can you imagine if Clemson, Florida State, and Miami were to defect into the SEC or or even um, uh, the the Big Twelve? Big 12, no, Big 10, sorry. So then you would have a huge problem. So, yeah, I think this is reactionary to to try to prevent other teams from leaving this alliance, so to speak. Yes, because we've seen what happened to the Big 12. I mean, people are jokingly trying to come up with a different name for that um, conference. Some people call it the irate eight or the little eight. (laughs) You know, it's like something different. It's no longer um, the the Big 12 anymore. And so who knows what's going to happen with that conference. There's talks that they may try to join forces with some AAC teams or some Mountain West teams and just try to have some type of semblance of a power conference. But definitely they've kind of taken a significant backseat. But the other thing I find interesting about this alliance, we talk about the possibility to have, you know, that gentleman's agreement where you might have some regularly scheduled blockbuster matchups between maybe like a Penn State and a USC, Penn State, UCLA, that kind of thing. But the issue, though, with this, with these three conferences, though, Matt, is that it's really like the cream at the top. You don't have the depth. And so is anybody going to get excited, hypothetically, about a Wake Forest-Washington State matchup, for instance? Like, you never, can only go never. so far with yeah. these matchups. Yeah, exactly. And that's my thing is those matchups – are not going to get the Clemsons and the Florida States into the national title game, right? So at a certain point, Clemson's going to have to say, hey, we we, we want to be a part of this alliance, but we're also trying to play for that national championship in football. So we do have to go mix it up with Georgia and uh, Ole Miss and Alabama and Oklahoma and all these other schools, right? So I think it's it's a good idea in practice, but I think more importantly, can you imagine what would happen to those conferences if a Clemson or a Miami or Florida State, those guys defected and, and went somewhere else, right, and joined the SEC. At that point, if those guys joined the SEC, there's no reason to play in any other conference. That is the conference that matters. So I think well, it's all reactionary. Well, here's what I would say kind of as a last point. This was something I heard yesterday on another podcast, and it was based off an article. I don't know what news source was um, uh, printing this article or publicizing it, but The situation um, that was speculated, Matt, was the possibility that we could see kind of a new age um, equivalent of what the NFL used to be like before the Super Bowl started, where you kind of had this rivalry between like the AFL and the NFL, and then they finally came together and played in the Super Bowl. And so the equivalent today would be the possibility of the alliance, if you will, versus the SEC and then the champion of both of those would face off in the finals every year. So who knows? That actually may be where we're getting and kind of the way things are going. They probably would hate each other a lot, too. Yeah, they would. And, and I do think kind of you said we would look at this from a future tense uh, standpoint. I do think that's what's headed our way. Right. I think when um, when OU and Texas defected out of the Big Ten, it really changed or Big 12 it really changed the landscape of what's going on. Like, I think it really did change college football. I think five years from now, we're going to be looking at something completely different than what we're currently looking at. So, all right, Joe, we're going to keep it moving. So you know what time it is, right? I think it's probably time for some food or some food discussion. I think it's time. Well, food, not yet, but food discussion. That's where we're at. So probably the most important part of the show, Joe, it's our namesake. Let's dive straight into a hungry take. Are you ready? I am ready, Matt, and that's all obviously coincidentally, you know, the 
um, saying for Ole Miss fans, and Ole Miss is, of course, always known for tailgating and food. That's right. So here we go. We're going to talk about the dessert to bring to a tailgate. So if you're going to go to a tailgate in light of college football and NFL starting up, okay, if you're going to go to a tailgate, what dessert are you going to bring like you make it or you buy? But at the end of the day, you got to bring a dessert to the tailgate. What you going with? So doing some preparation for the show, um, I talked to some some other sources to kind of get some ideas for this. And the consensus that um, I was told, Matt, is that going for like chocolate brownies would be the easiest combination or cookies secondarily. But brownies specifically because, you know, you don't have to um, eat them with like a fork or knife. They're not going to melt as fast as ice cream or cheesecake and just chocolate brownies just kind of a, you have a universal popularity. I mean, who does not want those to be passed around at a tailgate tent and whether you win or you lose the football game, I think you feel like a winner with the brownies. Yeah, I think so. Especially if there's some caramel swirled in there as well. But here's the deal. We're burying the lead there. Understand what Joe just told you. He felt some people out. He messaged some people. What he's trying to say is all the girls that he's talking to right now, he sent him a text message and said, what should I bring to this tailgate? I think that's that was the code speak right there. Well, so here's what I would say. If I'm bringing one dessert to a tailgate, it's going to be a Oreo dirt cake, right? That's where you crumble up the Oreos, you mix it with whipped cream and some vanilla pudding, and everyone loves it, right? Like that is like all the, the family and friends, they love the Oreo dirt cake. So that's what I'm going with if I'm going to a tailgate. No, I like that. You know, the Oreo dirt cake to me, it kind of sounds like something created too, like one of those like homemade type desserts that they yep. probably wouldn't necessarily sell at that many restaurants, but it's just really delicious. And, and here's the deal. People rave and rave and rave about it, and the truth is it takes about five minutes to make and costs about 10 bucks combined, and you're the hero of the party, and you basically didn't do anything. No, it really sounds delicious. I mean, kind of the easy answer to this question about the best desserts at a tailgate is I don't really think you can go wrong. I mean, dessert is the type of uh, entree that just people get excited about that. You, know, you don't hear people nitpicking desserts like they would other types of food. Um, but the other thing I would say about it though, Matt, thinking about, you know, the Oreo dirt cake, and I brought up the point that you wouldn't necessarily see that at a whole lot of restaurants. I've always wondered why it is that a lot of things that people cook at home, like think of, um, like tomato sandwiches, for instance, in the South, you don't see that at restaurants yet. There's like immense popularity. And I feel like there could be a market for maybe some place to start, um, offering some of these home concoctions. Yeah, and when you go to Southern, quote-unquote, air quotes here, Southern restaurants, they totally miss the boat, and it's something you would never cook in your house, right? They got a menu of stuff that you cook one time a year or, or maybe uh, once a month and not every single day of the week or, or every week or something like that. So I totally hear you. And the last thing I'll say, and we'll keep the show moving here, is the best part about desserts at a tailgate, there's no commitment, right? You walk up, you grab one, you eat it. You figure out what you love, and then you come back and get second, thirds, and fourths. Like you, you never have to worry about throwing away a full plate because you're going to love and eat that dessert, right? Oh, absolutely. All right, so let's bring it home here. Uh, we're going to talk football in the in the, the last block of the episode tonight. Let's start here with LSU Tigers, New Orleans Saints announcing that in order to get in the game, you need a negative COVID test or a vaccination card. Now, that's not the part we want to talk about. What we want to talk about is the overall impact of COVID on the football season, right? Like, we're already seeing players on the COVID restriction list. So, Joe, what do you think we're going to see this season? 
Well, I would say that it's going to be, be a little bit better probably than last year, um, especially in college football. Last year, you know, there were so many games that had to be rescheduled. But when it comes to the NFL side, you know, NFL was the one sport out of all the sports that were played last year that you didn't see as much of an impact from COVID. Like you turn the games on TV, and yes, if you um, didn't hear the crowd volume, you might not know, you know, that there were, you might realize there aren't fans there. But when we were calling the games on ColorCast and we pushed it on mute because we were talking, like I really couldn't tell that I was watching anything that was outside, um, you know, the realm of normal NFL football. And so I don't know how much it will impact it. Um, I do think, you know, if you talk about like the Saints and their stadium, the Superdome, um, allowing people in that are vaccinated or having to show a negative COVID test. I mean, that'll probably prevent, you know, the crowds from being necessarily capacity week in and week out. But the good news for New Orleans is just having fans, I think. Yeah, the only thing I can think of, two things very briefly, and we're going to keep it moving here. I think you're seeing some aggression by the fans in the stands. like, And I think that's just territorial. Since we haven't been around people, now you put people in a very heightened sense of environment, and they're kind of more aggressive. And I do think the other thing is you will continue to see postponed games, right? I think you will have these uh, these waves of COVID pop up and people test positive, and then all of a sudden they can't play the game. So I do think you're still going to see those games being postponed. It was kind of annoying last year. But for the most part, I think the season carries on uh, like normal. So, Joe, we're going to hit this one really quick. There's a battle going on with the New England Patriots, Cam Newton versus Mac Jones. Who do you think ultimately is going to get that position, and can they replace Tom Brady? I mean, they can't replace Tom Brady, but I think that Cam Newton will start out as the starter the first couple of weeks, but I think it's going to be kind of a natural progression towards uh, Mac Jones. I kind of see Bill Belichick as kind of a traditionalist where I would be surprised if he gives the rookie quarterback the reins from week one. But I think, you know, by week four or five, maybe even sooner, you'll see uh, Mac Jones playing a lot. Yeah, I think so. I think he's probably the answer here. So, Joe, we're going to keep it moving. We're going to hop into a new game that we're going to play on Hungry Takes tonight. So all the listeners out there, if you're hearing this game, it's a first time. It's called Famer or Flopper, meaning are they a Hall of Famer or are they a flopper? So I'm going to name the player, right? And Joe's going to tell you, is he a Hall of Famer, a Famer, or a flopper? The first one is Trevor Lawrence. Famer or flopper, Joe? So I do want to ask one caveat type question to preface. So we're not necessarily um, deciding if these guys are going to pan out. This is actually if they're going to be Hall of Fame, like not necessarily perennial Pro Bowl, Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Okay. Yeah, Hall of Fame. Okay, so give me the, the first. So Trevor Lawrence. I think that Trevor Lawrence, I, I'll say that he's probably not a Hall of Famer. Like I would actually um, think that I would say that there's too much hype in that there's so much hype. You know, like look at Andrew Luck. He was the last quarterback that everybody talked about in that type of category. And, you know, he didn't even make it 10 years into the league, unfortunately. So I think it's just too early to put uh, Trevor Lawrence as a Hall of Famer. I agree. And, and I'll just say Andrew Luck's my favorite because it was always wait until next season, right? Oh, wait until next season. Andrew Luck's going to be the champ. You know, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And he never panned out. We'll keep going. Zach Wilson, famer or flopper? I think that Wilson actually has a chance to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, the early returns I'm hearing about him in the preseason with the Jets, he's looked fantastic. And so, actually, he's, of all these guys in this category, I think the most likely to be a Hall of Famer. Trey Lance. Uh, no, not not a Hall of Famer, but I do think he has a chance to have some staying power and start for many years with the 49ers. And let's go Justin Fields. I would say that he'd be the other guy that I'd give an outside chance to make it to the Hall of Fame, but I'm not as sold as Wilson. 
Understood. Yeah, and I agree with you. The only one where I kind of side on caution is going to be Trey Lance. I'm not buying it necessarily. I buy Justin Fields, uh, his size. I buy Zach Wilson's strength and the way he played at BYU. And, and I buy the arm talent and what we saw to Trevor Lawrence. I just don't know about Trey Lance coming from where he came from, the conference and, and the teams he played. So, Joe, the last segment of the show, the most talked about segment in sports entertainment history, Joe, that is the hangry rant. The hangry rant for tonight is we got to name one player for each category. And the categories are a surprise player, a letdown player, and a rising star player. So do you want to go first or you want you want me to go first? Let me let you go first for the hangry rant. I feel right. like that's always your section. All right. So the hangry rant. Here's what I got. So I'm going to go with the surprise of the year. Surprise of the year for me is Jameis Winston, right? I think he has matured. And I touched on this the last episode. I think Jameis Winston is a different person now. He's got two years of tutelage under Drew Brees and Sean Payton. He's had his eyes corrected through LASIK, and he's talking and acting like a more mature ball player. I think he is the surprise this year. I'm not saying he's going to be this Pro Bowl talent and they're going to win the Super Bowl. I'm merely saying you are going to see a more judicious, just better pro in Jameis Winston. There's always reports coming out saying he is the consummate pro in the locker room. I think you're going to see a surprise from him. The other two I'm going to throw out there, uh, just very briefly, I think Arizona is a surprise team. And also uh, with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins and then Baker Mayfield for the Browns. I think both of those teams are going to surprise people. The rising star for me, and I had to really think about this, and, and I know I'm going to hear it. The feedback is going to be, oh, Matt's because you love LSU. It's Joe Burrow for me, Joe. That's who I think the rising star is, and here's why. He's got targets, right? He's got a plethora of wide receivers. He's got Joe Mixon at running back. He is coming back from an injury. Last year, he lit up the league as a rookie before he was hurt. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he is the smartest quarterback drafted since, obviously, Patrick Mahomes in 2017. But I'm going to go further. Russell Wilson in 2012, Drew Brees in 01, and Manning in 1998. That's what he showed us at LSU. He came right into the pros and did the same thing. I think Joe Burrow is the next best megastar at quarterback since like a Russell Wilson. So that's my rising star. And finally, my letdown here, and it's going to surprise a bunch of people, is going to be Josh Allen. And very quickly, here's why. He threw a 70% completion record last year. All the way back to college, he has never averaged more than 56% completion record. Last year, he was 70%. And also, he always averaged about 200 completions a year. Last year, he had 400 completions. So to me, Josh Allen is the letdown. Okay. So let's start with the surprise. And I'll talk about you know the team that we like to specialize in on calling games on ColorCast, the New Orleans Saints. I was so impressed with what I saw Monday night in the preseason game not only from Jameis Winston, but wide receiver Marquez Callaway. I think he's going to be one of those surprise players that really breaks out kind of, you know, one of the better wide receivers the Saints have had, kind of like Marcus Colston coming out of nowhere. Callaway was undrafted out of Tennessee. I mean, he looks like a breakout star this year. As far as a letdown, I'm going to go with Kirk Cousins. And I, another reason I'm going to throw him into the um, conversation here, Matt, is I know you kind of like to, you know, um, pick on Aaron Rodgers. And the I've decided, let down. yes. And so I've decided that, you know, I kind of need a player that I'm going to, you know, just maybe even sometimes um, uh, unapologetically criticize for no reason. And Kirk Cousins, I think, is going to be that player for me. 
Like it may take, you know, some change in my personality to make it, you know, that uh, critical. But I think he's going to be the guy, you know, that I'm going to, you know, um, maybe poke some fun at from time to time uh, this year. Um, as far as the rising star, um, I'm going to go with uh, Antonio Gibson, the running back from uh, the Washington football team. I think he's phenomenal. I think he played college uh, football at Memphis. And I think he's just going to be great this year in Washington to me as a very underrated team because their defense is outstanding with uh, Chase Young and Montez Sweat. And then what was the last category that we needed to pick? Uh, surprise. Yeah, so surprise. Does it have to be like negative surprise or like or like, like positive in a good way? It has way to be surprise. positive. Okay. So I would say that I have um, – I would say that – I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think. What, what was yours? So my surprise was going to be Jameis Winston. Okay. Hmm. So, I, look, I'll fill in the void right there, Joe, because I, I, I didn't give my letdown enough credit. Not only is it Josh Allen, it's going to be Aaron Rodgers, and I have to plug that. Before we conclude this episode, everyone knows the ultimate letdown year over year, Aaron Rodgers, Joe. Gotcha, gotcha. And I definitely look forward to having some fun with that um, later on this year. Well, I guess my surprise player, I may have already mentioned it. I guess it was um, Marquez Callaway. So I'll stick with him as the guy I think that's going to be the breakout surprise player at wide receiver for the Saints this year. So it should be a fun NFL season. Look forward to doing some more previews uh, next week as we get ready. But thank you guys so much for uh, tuning in tonight to the Hungry Takes podcast. Um, really enjoyed being in studio again with Matt for another fun episode with some great topics he came up with us tonight. And then also enjoyed talking about tailgating and desserts. Um, as always, guys, you can follow us on Twitter at Hungry Takes. That's at Hungry Takes to keep up with our schedule and um, listen to some of our older podcast episodes. And we look forward to being back with you um, very soon for casting some sporting events. And we'll be here next week live in studio. Have a good night.